good to be with you all this morning. I'll bring you greetings from Christ the Redeemer in Clemson. This morning we're going to think about uh, the Lord's Supper just for a moment. I know you've spent a lot of time probably thinking about the significance of this meal, but I have a question. How many of you grew up in a background if you went to church, maybe you didn't grow up in church, but if you did go to church, grew up in a background where you celebrated the Lord's Supper every Sunday. You might have called it Eucharist or Mass or um, Holy Communion. Uh, how many of you grew up in a church where you did this every week? If you just raise your hand. Yeah, see, maybe you can look around and see. Maybe that's 5%, maybe less than that, less than 5%. Um, why do we do this anyway, every week? What's the significance of it? Um, I have a little metal token that a friend of mine sent me who is a Presbyterian minister in Scotland, in the Church of Scotland. And it's, it's from his church that he is the pastor of. It has on it Cromarty 1797. It is what was known as a communion token. And what they did in the Church of Scotland back in the day uh, is you would have communion once a year. And you'd have several days, maybe a week, in preparation for communion where the elders of the church, the, the leaders of the church, they would come to your home and they would conduct an examination of your beliefs and your behavior. If your beliefs were correct and if your behavior was in line, then you were presented a communion token. And when you came to church on Sunday that they were going to have communion, you handed the elder your token, and, and, and this particular day and time, they sat at big long tables. They would come forward and sit at big tables and, and then have communion. Well, whatever you think about that practice, um, one thing's for sure, they, they saw the importance of the Lord's Supper. They took it very seriously. Uh, now, what they didn't appreciate as much is the necessity of the Lord's Supper uh, for our Christian discipleship, for our growth in Christ, for our communion with God. And we can't go into the theological reasons why they did not see that necessity, but nonetheless, they did. And, and so this morning, I want us just to think about this one little phrase again so that we can understand the necessity of this meal for our Christian discipleship. As important as reading the Bible, as important as praying, as important as worshiping with God's people on Sunday morning. Because what happens when we see the necessity of this meal is we enter again into reality. And we become and realize what it means to be fully human. Now, that's saying a lot, but let's think about it this morning. So the phrase I want to look at is this last little verse of the scripture reading from 1 Corinthians. And the verse goes like this. After he's given the words that you hear every Sunday about the, this, this bread and this cup, Jesus, uh, Paul is repeating what Jesus said at the Last Supper. And then he says in this verse, 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, what is Jesus saying? Uh, this physical act of eating and drinking is, is proclaiming something. And, and what is it? Well, when he talks about proclaiming the Lord's death, he's talking about a declaration, to be sure. So every time we eat and drink, we're declaring something about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this good news that we've embraced. But, but it's more than that. It also, this eating and drinking, also involves participation. So uh, earlier in, in, this, in this book, Paul talks about be sure not to eat uh, the bread or drink the cup of demons. Be, be involved in occult activities is what he's talking about. Because he said, is not the cup that we drink from a participation in the blood of Christ and the bread that we drink a participation in the body of Christ. And what the word participation means there, it gets translated elsewhere in the Bible as fellowship or communion. So, so what he's saying is when we eat and drink, we're having fellowship. We're communing with the living God. We're sharing in the life of the resurrected Christ. So when we proclaim the Lord's death, we're declaring something, but we're also participating in the life of God. As someone has put it, we're thrust back in time because we proclaim the Lord's death, which includes his life, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, and his giving of the Holy Spirit. We're being connected as we look back into the past, as we remember the past, as we are thrust into the past, we're being connected again with the historical Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. But he says we're also pushed forward in time to the coming again of Jesus. So we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So not only are we connected to the historical Jesus, but we're also connected to the Jesus who's been glorified and right now is sitting in a human body at the right hand of the Father in heaven who's going to come back one day and straighten all the mess out in this world. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Now, now what, what this means is... Um, because not only is there a real presence of Christ in the bread and the wine, there's also a very real absence. We don't see Jesus, do we? The real absence, though, is overcome by the reality of what happens in this meal when we eat and drink. Because it's Jesus who said, 
not some theological tradition, not some denomination. It's Jesus who said, this is my body. This is my blood. So when we proclaim the Lord's death, not just in a decorative sense, but in a participatory sense, we're being connected again to the historical Jesus. We're proclaiming his death, but we're being thrust forward in time until the day when he comes again and are connected with the glorified, risen Christ. In many ways, it's, it's like uh, a time warp, right? Because the looking back, the looking forward, is actually ascending to where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So when we eat and drink, we take this bread and drink this cup, we're ascending to the heavenly throne. And we're participating again in the significance of what Christ has done for us and what Christ is going to do for us in the future. We're participating in the very life of God as we eat and drink. So in some ways, it's outside time and outside history. It's a a little bit like the latest Indiana Jones movie. I mean, have any of you seen that movie? Some of you have. Um, there, there, I won't spoil it for those of you who might see it in the future, but there is a portal in time um, where they shoot back in history. In a sense, isn't that what this is? Beyond time, beyond history, being lifted into the heavenly places by this simple act of eating and drinking. And at, at this point, you might be saying, well, so what? That sounds like a lot of esoteric talk. So what? If you were dying of pancreatic cancer and you knew there was someone who had a cure, there was a treatment that would drive that cancer out of your body or out of the body of your loved one, you would probably crawl over glass to get to that treatment, right? If you knew there was a therapy that would cure mental illness, that schizophrenia or deep depression could be just gone, gone. And your mind or the mind of your loved one was not tormented anymore. Would you crawl over glass to get to that therapy? Is it too much to say 
that when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, when you eat and drink, you're proclaiming my death, being reconnected to me in my life, death, and resurrection until I come again connected to me in my glorious resurrected body. You're being brought into the heavenly life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is it too much to say that this meal, as we look to Jesus in faith, is what we need for the healing of our sin-ravaged souls? That is what we need to bring us back to sanity in a society that does not live in reality. That seeks to destroy our humanity. That it's this meal that reconnects us with the fully human one who was fully God. Who gave his life for us who rose again for us, who is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, who's coming again one day and will bring all injustice to its knees and will no longer live in a world of sin, death, and destruction, and hatred, and anger. We'll live in a new heavens and a new earth. Is it too much to say that this is the therapy. That this is the medication that will give us what we need. Now, some of us are troubled by how does this all work? Because when I come up, I'm struggling with things. I'm filled with doubts. I have sin in my life and the priest hands me bread and I take the cup and doesn't feel like any big deal often. It's just a little wafer. It's just some port. Well, how does all this work? Well, Jesus told us how it works. To some extent, there's always mystery involved, but to some extent he tells us in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, he's been talking to them about himself. And he describes um, what it means to have life by believing in him. But he does it in very, very graphic terms. Now you can imagine, you're listening to Jesus teach. He's done, you've heard about his miracles. You've seen him do some amazing things. You're sort of enamored by what he's teaching. And all of a sudden he says, you know... You, you can't have life, you can't have eternal life unless you drink of my blood and eat of my body. Now, you're in the first century, you're looking at this human being, you're hearing him say, you've got to drink my blood and eat my body if you're going to have life. What are you thinking? 
You know what the pagans of the time thought? After Jesus was resurrected and he instituted the Lord's Supper and they celebrated this meal, you know what some of the pagans called the Christians? Can you imagine? What do you think? What? Cannibals. Sounds like cannibalism, doesn't it? Eating flesh? I mean, we'd be talking about a satanic cult that gathers down under the bridge. Drinking blood? Eating human flesh? Listen to the words of Jesus. The Jews began arguing among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Logical question in my mind. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, <laughs> He doesn't bend a bit. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus doesn't back down at all as they're arguing about what in the world this man talking about drinking blood and giving his flesh to eat. He doesn't back down. He repeats it. You want to have life? You want to have real life? You want to have life for all eternity? Then this is how you get it. Drinking my blood and eating my flesh. And you, no wonder they're arguing. But Jesus goes on and he says this as his disciples were really disturbed about what he was teaching. It is the Spirit who gives, the life, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now, we can't unpack this um, at any length this morning. But, but notice what he says. You didn't even formulate the question correctly. You didn't understand the reality of this world, that it's the Spirit who gives life, not human flesh. So, so how does eating this bread and drinking this wine do anything for us? Other than tasting a little bit of port and eating a little, little wafer. How does it accomplish all the things that we talked about earlier? How can Jesus say, this is my body and this is my blood? How can this all work? He says very simply this. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that I gave to my church. The Spirit who is the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit who is, what do we profess in the Nicene Creed? The Lord the giver of life. The, the same spirit 
that when Hannah takes, looks at this bread and, and she sanctifies it, she says it is sanctified by the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit who is the Lord, the giver of life. It is the Spirit who takes bread, real bread, and real wine and makes it in us the very life of Jesus, his body and his blood. Now, I can tell you no more. <laughs> to me, that's where the mystery comes. But you know, we shouldn't be too worried about mysteries. How many of you can explain to me how the meal that you're going to eat in a little while, maybe a couple of hours, how it nourishes your body so that you stay alive. How many of you could really explain all the medical and physiological dynamics about how food that you're going to eat is keeping you alive and nourishes your physical body? Now, I'm sure there's some of you here. I'm not even going to ask for hands because I know there's somebody here that's like, I can, uh, even though I had a doctor when I did this it, and talked about this in Clemson. He said, well, I can only explain it so far. Are you disturbed by that mystery? Does that upset you? Does that rattle your faith that you, don't, you can't explain how food nourishes your body? No, you do what? In faith you eat. In faith you drink. And you know it's going to nourish your body. As long as it's not Cheetos and Mountain Dew and stuff like that. Right? And so we come to this meal... We know we need it for life that Jesus is here by his spirit and he's going to nourish us spiritually. It's lifting us up into the heavenly places where we benefit from what he's done in the past and we look forward to what he's going to do for us in the future. We participate in the very life of God as we partake of this meal, eating and drinking. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And by faith, we take that bread and we drink from that cup, saying thank you. Thank you that it's for me. The mess that I am with all my doubts, all my struggles, I'm so thankful I don't have to bring a communion token. Well, what's our communion token? Well, it's under there somewhere. It's a little round token. But it's not taken and given to get into heaven. It's ingested in the faith that we are in heaven with Jesus. 
and the Father and the Son. As um, I don't like to end sermons with a quote, but I can't help but end this one with this quote. We are pilgrims on our way to the heavenly city. The way is often hard and the cross looms large. But when we gather for this meal, the feast of the new creation beckons us again. We're thrust back in time to the Last Supper. And we're pushed forward in time to the marriage supper of the Lamb one day. All by coming to this supper and eating and drinking. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for... Um, just the privilege of being brought into your life through this simple act. We pray that you would meet us today at this table in new and fresh ways as you always love to do. We thank you that you've given the Holy Spirit to make all of this reality in our lives. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for your great gift to us. Amen.